The question that we're answering in with, with Altos data is, if I walk into the market now, what do homes cost? Are there a lot of them? Like, do I have to make an offer quickly? Do I, uh, am I going to have selection? Can I lowball? Uh, you know, if I want to invest in, and make more money. And that's all of that signal is in the active market. You know, we can see. So one of the leading indicators that we like is the percentage of homes on the market that have taken a price reduction. Hey, folks, this is Clayton Collins, your host for the Housing News Podcast. And today's guest is Mike Simonson, the founder and CEO at Altos Research. Today's whole conversation is focused in on the age old housing question. How's the market? And Mike goes into the data points, the, the leading data points that help us better understand what to expect in terms of housing inventory, how mortgage rates impact home sales and home price forecasts, and uh, some of the things that are misunderstood about home prices and listing data. We also talk about rents and how the relationship between the rental market and the home sales market. This conversation with Mike is really your your deep dive into the housing market in Q3 and Q4 2022 and will help professionals across the ecosystem better understand how to answer that age-old question and also how to build their businesses to be successful in this challenging market. We're recording this the week before Housing Wire Annual. So if you are listening to this on Thursday or Friday or Saturday, this is your call to get on Expedia and book that last minute plane ticket to Scottsdale and join us for Housing Wire Annual, where we'll go deep on all the topics that matter to housing professionals, including the housing market. Hope to see you in Scottsdale, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Housing News Podcast. Hey folks, and now a quick message from our housing news podcast sponsor, Radian Title Services. You hear the term blockchain show up more and more in the real estate industry, but what does it mean for lenders and homeowners? And how does servicing work when funding mortgages from the blockchain? Radian's title insurance and closing services platform, Title Genius, answers these questions with a blockchain-enabled online portal that gives you simple pricing, smarter processes, more transparency, and superior service. Visit MyTitleGenius.com. And if you're a real estate agent, there's a link right on the landing page with specific knowledge for you. Check out MyTitleGenius.com for more information. Mike, good to see you. Thanks for joining me. All right. Nice to be here, Clayton. So everyone, we got Mike Simonson here, the founder and CEO of Altos Research. And Mike has kind of built Altos around this question that we're, we're all asked frequently and we all have to think about how to answer. Um, so I'm going to start the question with the, I'm going to start the interview with the question that Altos seeks to solve day in, day out for housing professionals. Mike, how's the market? How's the market? It's a rapidly changing market. There's a, been a bunch of signals this year that have been fun to watch, namely the inventory trend. So inventory, available inventory of unsold you know, homes sitting on the market has been, was started the year at ultra, ultra low levels. Uh, everybody knows that by now. Uh, and then in May, June, July, as rates started spiking, we could see inventory climbing. And for a while, I thought that meant that inventory was going to keep climbing and we might get back to the previous normal levels. Like normally right now, this time of year, we might have a million single family homes on the market. 
Um, and even in 2019, there were like 950,000 or something like that in at the end of September. And right now there's, there's 560,000. And so significantly fewer. So for a while, I thought we were going to get back up to normal. And then it, that didn't happen. Like we topped out. So, um, we have more than we did. The market slowed down a lot and it's really buyer demand that slowed down. So, you know, sellers don't have any urgency to sell. If you, ho- if you own a home, uh, you have a lot of equity and you have a ultra low mortgage. So, so the inventory climbing isn't really because sellers are flooding to the market. It's because, you know, buyers slowed way down. Uh, and then buyers picked up a little bit actually in August, surprisingly. And I think that's as rates went back under six, like close to five. Uh, and then in the last few weeks, they've spiked up again. And we can see buyers slowing down really quickly. It sure looks like in the data that they stopped abruptly when rates spiked from, you know, under six to six and a half to like seven, it looks like this week. Yeah. So you jumped straight into to all of the data that housing professionals need to know and, and all, all of the, uh, the topics we'll hit on in this conversation. So Mike, that the, the question though, how's the market is so it's nuanced to like, to who's asking. And I feel like as, as housing professionals, I've talked about this on the podcast before you have a, a little bit of a different response. If you're a real estate agent and you're talking to a first time home buyer, or you have a different response. If you're Mike Simonson and you're answering the question at a neighborhood barbecue. So how do you, how do you help real estate agents answer that question or, or loan originators answer that question for someone who's a first time home buyer and who's seeing the headlines about um, being the home prices rapidly rising, interest rates at, at 20 year highs? Like, how do you help housing professionals answer the question to kind of the uninitiated, the person who might be buying a home for the first time and give them the context they need? to help give their client or their neighbor confidence in how they're thinking about their housing decisions? Yeah. You know, the, uh, I've asked this question on stage before in front of, you know, hundreds of realtors. And I say, how's the market? And even in the depths of the, the housing bubble burst, uh, there's, there's a big group of the audience that, is trained as, as a real estate professional to say, when somebody asks you how the market is, there's only one answer. It's great. And, and it's really remarkable, even when it's not, even though it's not great. So I like to teach that we answer that, that question with the data. So how's the market? Remarkably, there's all, still a lot fewer homes available than there are normally. Uh, and, you know, there are more now. So buyers now, if you're a well-financed buyer, you have more option now than you have had in, in, in several years. So those like for, for a, for answering that barbecue question, right? Answering it with a little bit of data is how we bring the confidence and, and credibility as opposed to, answering it's great you know and and you know it's the you know the real estate professional sales p- professionals in general you know, were were trained to you don't want to be debbie downer right so you got to be positive in that answer but it and so uh but but people also know exactly what's happening and so they actually it's really a call for you to establish your expertise and use some data 
And so a little bit of data and like the first time homebuyer question is really fascinating, right? So, you know, yes, rates are way up and the amount you can afford, the amount of house you can afford for your payment is, is way down. Uh, it's very obvious. On the other hand, first time homebuyers during the pandemic were, they were just destroyed by people who could make cash offers and overbidding. And so it's like actually the first time in a long time that first time homebuyers don't have the bidding war competition that they've been, that they've been faced with. And so uh, it's like, those are new conditions that we haven't had in a long time for first time homebuyers. If there's a, there's a little bit of optimism in there, you know, it is in that sense for, for first time buyers, like, they, you know, and, and when you buy the house the first time, you go to, you know, buy your first home, it's often driven by life events. It's, you know, we had the second kid or, you know, we, you know, we, we got the promotion, whatever the, the life events are. And, um, and as opposed to a purely uh, mortgage rate driven decision. And so like those life events still happen. And so now it's like, it's, it's maybe we can buy a home where we were, you know, we, we tried before and we just kept getting just beat up. And when talking about data, it's very important to understand the context behind the data. And there, there's been a lot of um, talk in the last month about increases in inventory. And, and last week in the Altos report, you shared with your subscribers that there's 26% more homes on the market than at the same time last year. But you also took a step further and took that into historical context. So what should home buyers understand about the historical context of home inventory in this rapidly changing market that we're in right now? So yeah, we are yeah 40% fewer homes than normal. Uh, inventory, available inventory of homes in, in the U.S. has been actually declining every year, almost every year for over a decade, uh, for a decade coming out of the, the pandemic and, and uh, no, the coming out of the, the housing bubble burst. And we, uh, that is because as Americans, we end up buying and con- converting our homes into more investment properties and not selling them, not relisting them back on the market. And so each year there's fewer and fewer homes, uh, available on the market. Then the pandemic accelerated that. And so we went from, you know, normally right now we'd have a million single family homes on the market and, you know, there's only 560,000 right now. Um, that means that, that buyers, you know, next spring, while there is significantly less um, competition, they, there's not, there's not like a flood of distressed homes listing. And all of a sudden I've got a little bit of cash so I can swoop in and find this, you know, bargain of a deal. And in fact, you know, markets all over the world are in turmoil. So the housing market is definitely, you know, feeling that and has some risk in, in things like home prices too for next year. But, but under a certain number of like scenarios, a certain likelihood that because there's actually so few homes available, it may be difficult for home prices to decline significantly. There are, um, you know, if you have supply and demand, supply is still really low. And so, it, it, you know, like 
demand has fallen way off too. So like there, there's, there's definitely implicate market implications that we, we're going to deal with over the next uh, year or two. But, um, but it's not like the stock market or something like that where things are, you know, can crater that fast. When we look at the Altos data, you, you you shared that we've seen a steady decline in the volume of the inventory volumes over the last decade. When you look at the data, those inventory volumes continued to decline as we went through record purchase numbers in the low rate environment that was 2020 and 2021. So I've like pontificated with this theory that it's not just fewer houses being listed um, or maybe, maybe it's not fewer houses being listed, but it's the speed at which houses homes are turning in the market as well. Has the Altos data revealed any long-term historical changes in, in days on market that might be aided by technology and the discoverability of the right, the right homes for sale or um, like I'm, I'm trying to like, kind of triangulate to how we've seen some markets over the last decade where volumes of purchase volumes for mortgage purchase volumes have shot through the roof. But at the same time, we've continued to see this decline in available inventory, which seemed to kind of be like conflicting um, data lines. Yeah. So um, I think you're right. I think the, the speed with which um, homes are, are uh, purchased, like actually, contributes to that active inventory being lower. Um, and you can see it in a few things. Maybe there's some technology things there, but there's definitely some marketing techniques that happen. Uh, and the marketing techniques are, uh, we're pre-listing this house and we're shopping it around to the other agents in our brokerage and it's an exclusive listing. And now, oh, hey, day one Listed. Oh, we're taking offers this afternoon, and so it's, a spe- it's essentially spend zero time on the market, and uh, and these are re- sort of technology, but kind of like they're like marketing or sales tactics that uh, brokerages are using, and uh, and so you know we track it as a phenomenon we call uh, immediate sales. So these are ones that we can see pending contract that were essentially never active on the market. And it was a phenomenon that really exploded during the pandemic. And there was a, uh, a chunk early, like uh, beginning of this year, late last year, when a third of the homes that were going into contract in a given week spent, they were essentially immediate sales. And so, you know, it's like, whether it's like, you know, I'm, I'm doing enough pre-marketing that the day it gets listed, we start taking offers. We're going to, we're going to take offers by Thursday. We're going to have, you know, decision on Saturday. And, and the house, like if you're just going in and shopping as a, as a home buyer, it's like a new a first time home buyer. You don't even get that. Like that doesn't, it's not even active market. Like it's gone. And so that immediate sales phenomenon is really noticeable in over the pandemic. And, um, and it's, it's obviously shrinking now. Uh, you know, there's fewer of those and it'll be really fascinating to see in a weak buyer environment. Like, do those brokers who were, who were claiming that, uh, exclusive listings were like some sort of special asset that they have, th- does that evaporate? Like, is that just a function of, you know, ultra cheap money, hot, hot market. Um, and there's probably some of the other technology things that do it, but, but I think, uh, technology is mostly, uh, you know, about, it's like the transaction time 
rather than necessarily the the offer time. Yeah, that's a, a a great point. Like immediate sales is something that I think our newsroom at Real Trends and Housing Wire should be digging into a little bit more and watching how that that trend evolves. We certainly see that pretty pronounced here in Dallas, where some of the the more Tony neighborhoods of of Dallas have many more signs in front of them than there are actually listings on the uh, on the MLS, and that is that those exclusive listings, the the pre marketing that goes on for an extremely long amount of time, and I um. And you also see that kind of keeps out uh, some of the agents who aren't as like experienced or networked in the in the neighborhoods. And it's I think it's part of what we see going on in the market right now. And the, kind of the the flight to quality as volumes are down, the most productive agents seem to be getting more business. And if you're a buyer, working with one of those productive agents is extremely important because you might not get access to some of those immediate sale opportunities if you're working with a less experienced agent or just waiting for something to to hit the websites. Yeah, exactly. If you, if, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those, those, uh, things like I've, I've been in the industry now for you know, 16, 17 years and, and, um, and, you know, you, you hear over and over again, the, like, you know, what am I paying a real estate agent for? All they're doing is, you know, showing me the houses. And, and it turns out that there's a lot of nuance in the, in the process that, requires a really good real estate agent and 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 also that it turns out that consumers are willing to pay for that they keep you know paying for full service uh even though that there are a lot of discount options out there uh, most of the market still pays for a full service agent yeah it's phenomenal so mike you tease the concept of of how interest rates mortgage interest rates are impacting home sales and i think everyone that listens to this podcast knows that rates have shot up over 100 bips in the the last 30 days and uh the last week's announcement from the fed from jerome powell on a 75 basis point increase didn't do anything to didn't didn't help rates and the the commentary around future increases and October, November, and December, um, you know, give capital markets uh, a little a little more concern, and we've seen rates kind of tip toward seven percent. So, since last week's Fed announcement, what have you seen happen in the the listings and contract data that um, that surprised you or or not surprised you? Uh, you know, I actually uh, we can trace the data the the changes in the data to not the not not the fed announcement per se but but actually before that like the the week or 10 days before that rates started started jumping again so they went from somewhere in the fives to mid sixes in in, in that couple of week span and and um so and the way i we notice it is in the um you know the total inventory count and you can see that What's happening is that there are there aren't there's not a flood of new listings happening. There, um, you know that it's that there's like a, actually fewer new listings happening than recent years in late September, in, in any given week. But inventory is climbing, and so and inventory had been starting to decline through August, and then all of a sudden we've now got a couple of weeks in a row, and it looks like this is going to be a third week in a row of rising inventory in late September. It's not uh, totally unheard of for inventory to rise late September. 2018 inventory rose late September, and that was also in, in a rising interest rate environment. So, you know, you could see that um, that was the last time rates rose. At that time, they rose from 3.9 to 4.9. 
And now they've gone, you know, from three to seven, like that's a dramatic difference. And so now it's almost like we can see that, that reaction week to week um, in there. And, and so it's going to be fascinating to see what that means for the second half of the, the last quarter. You know, does normally in October, starting in mid-October, inventory starts declining week over week. You know, either people are buying houses or taking them off for the holidays. You're not listing new homes, you know, you know, going into November generally. Uh, you know, you're like, we have significantly fewer homes on the market through the holidays. And then that resets the second week of January and starts climbing again. And uh, but it's gonna be fascinating if if nobody's buying anything in that period. Do, does inventory climb into October and November? That would be really fascinating to see uh, if that happens. Uh, that would be a that'd be a pretty bearish signal for for like home prices in 2023. And I know that Altos runs a an inventory forecast model. Like, do you account for the fact that like a, a pause in rising inventory in Q3 and Q4 and a pause in purchases do, could that create a um like demand or, or kind of like backup in demand that that could come to fruition in 2023 if we see rates normalize or or knock on wood even give give us back a few basis points yeah um the model is not sophisticated enough to to think about those things but we can actually see that happened this year so what happened was um, on the supply side, as rates started rising in late first quarter, you know, we had inventory climbed in April, May, June, pretty, pretty, uh, dramatically. And then in July, inventory went bloop and turned sideways, stopped climbing. And, and so, you know, it's pretty, it seems pretty clear now that much of the new listing volume, that real steep climb in say June, those were home sellers who were thinking, I'm going to sell this summer. And the longer I wait, the worse it's going to be. And so they pulled that supply forward uh, by listing in May and June as quickly as they could. Uh, and then when July happened, they're like, you know, now they, they like, those are already in the market. We don't, we, the, so, so that pulled forward. So um, there are phenomena like that, that, that actually do shift that. So, you know, it could pull, it could push demand, you know, into the spring, you know, demand falls off in the, over the holidays anyway. And so, um, you know, and, and so it really is, you know, the, like there's going to, it's like an entirely different market between now and the second week of January, we're going to have a whole bunch of different macro variables. Are they, do they look worse or scarier? Do rates look better or worse? Like, and then, and then buyers are going to start making entirely new decisions for 2023. I mean, you talk about some of the historical trends about volume falling off over the holidays, but we have seen over the last two years in this COVID environment, a lot of our historical seasonal trends get broken by um, quarantine and low interest rates. I guess that's it. Quarantine and low interest rates yeah. <laughs> have changed some of the the seasonal trends. Work from so home you, and low interest rates. Yeah. Exactly. Got to have a home office like this so you can... Uh, <laughs> so yeah. do you see the... Um, do you see some of those seasonal shifts that we saw in 2020 and 21 potentially playing out in 2022? Or do you think we're back in an environment where we're back in this this traditional spring listing, summer selling season, and the winter is, um, you know, cold turkey? 
we are the market was trying to get back to its normal seasonality this year. Um, there, you know, we've watched a uh, a number of uh, bullwhip effects they call it in the economy. You know, where like uh, sh- freight shipping costs went skyrocketing, and there was no shipping containers, and now that's plummeting again. And so we're seeing these. You know, we've seen them in, in this. You know, the the COVID recovery economy. And so in a certain sense, like that could happen to the housing market. In other words, we had, you know, the one side of the bullwhip was, was demand powered all the way through November and December of 2021 into this, this January. And it was, you know, unseasonably strong. And so when you look at, for example, at the NAR reports the seasonally adjusted home sales numbers. And in January and December and January, they were at like six and a half million. They were way, way high. And it's because it was unseasonally strong. It was like, you know, the seasonal adjustments then overstated what was going on. Um, but, but, uh, and so you could imagine that the other side of that bullwhip happens now, which is all of that demand was bullwhipping up one side and now it bull. And so we get this counter seasonal, like even stronger downside, um, you know, uh, demand fall off these holidays. Uh, uh, so that's like a real scenario that we can, we can watch play out. Um, you know, and so that would be like unseasonally, unseason, unseasonally having inventory climb starting in mid October. And so like, you know, in three weeks, like we, if I, I can expect, I currently expect two or three more week, three more weeks of of rising, uh, slightly rising inventory, like that, based on the 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 historical and the current fact of you know the 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 rising rate market, um, and and all the other macro things that are super scary that that you know make make buy like make buyers not want to buy, um, so then. If it's now mid-October and late October and that keeps climbing, like that's when we'll see the unseasonal, we would, that would be an unseasonal change and, and then, you know, be a new signal to pay attention to. All right. So if we climb in October, that's because we have existing listings that are sitting. And as like the natural evolution of new listings come to market, we, we get a build. So we have a, we have an aging inventory of open listings. Days on market starts to extend, but we also have some like powerful waves behind us. And we know that, um, the trolls hate it when Logan talks about this, but we, he, t- he talks about demographics and we have this wave of, 30 to 35 year olds who are in that, that peak home buying stage who um, like it or not are, are going to need a roof over their head at some point. And um, maybe that, maybe that's renting, may, maybe that's a home. Um, we are also sitting on record amounts of housing wealth, which means that nobody's very few people are forced into a, a sales scenario or at least a distressed sales scenario. And the listings that are coming to market from those people who do have equity in their home means that the buyers are are likely in the hunt for another home to purchase. How do you think those two positive demographic and economic characteristics characteristics housing wealth and first-time home buyers coming of age impact or counteract potential rising inventory in Q4? Um you know, my suspicion is that in Q4 they don't like have that short-term kind of uh impact. 
where it's like, you know, there are, there's some home buyers now. There are cash ready buyers now. Uh, there's a lot of cash. There's still a lot of cash, you know, in the economy and in people's bank accounts and investor money and things like that. So, uh, there are, there are people who are, uh, actively looking for bargains. Um, and they may start to, to find some of those, you know, especially people who are like trying to sell at that point. The longer term trends, um, they feel, they feel, you know, generally optimistic to me. And, and generally optimistic means like, you know, we have, um, we have buyers, we have well-financed homeowners. And so, uh, that those are, um, you know, really bullish things for um, like normally would be super bullish signals for the market. Uh, and the, you know, the, the, so how much does that counteract 7% interest rates? What if we get into January and they're 8%? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, if even a few months ago, 7% is, was, you know, really hard for me to imagine. Um, and so, so, um, so in general, but those are, you know, like, like those are things that prevent, you know, massive selling. There's a, there's, we're at record few homeowners in any kind of distressed mortgage scenario. Uh, we're, we're at, we're at record employment levels. Uh, so like all of those things like can change. And then we'll have different implications for housing down the street. And, and, you know, the most bearish scenarios are those people who assume that, yep, we're going to have massive, big recession and massive unemployment. And, and therefore we're going to have to have people who sell their homes and, and that will kick in. And, um, I'm not, I'm not skilled enough with macro economy to know how likely that is, um, you know, or, you know, or, or, what other scenarios are, you know, possible there. A strong partner in enterprise loan quality ensures lender and consumer protection during a market shift. Hi, this is Nicole Booth, Chief Marketing Officer with QC Ally, the official enterprise loan quality partner of Housing Wire News with today's Power of Partnerships Minute. We've all heard about a potential increase in fraud, loan default, and repurchase. A market shift presents an opportunity for lenders to review internal QC processes, and loan quality assurance checks assist with lower defect rates and minimizes repurchase risks. A partnership between technology with human guidance allows trained QC experts to accurately identify risks, monitor the ever-changing regulatory environment, and engage technology to support efficiency and speed. Partnering with an enterprise loan quality company like QC Ally can improve loan quality and drive change within the organization. Learn more at QCAlly.com. That's today's Power of Partnerships Minute. Let's bring it back to your area of expertise. So let's talk about let's talk about home prices a little bit, Mike. So um, Altos has an incredible number and depth of different data points and signals that help housing professionals better understand which direction the market is headed. Can you talk about some of the data points, the signals that impact your views on which direction home prices are moving? And we can kind of look at that from a, a local level at a zip code level or, or raise up to national, kind of depending on which angle you want to attack from. 
Well, this, the the leading indicator stats are the same whether you're looking locally or or nationally. Uh, there's a handful of stats. So, you know, we watch every home for sale in the country, all the pricing and the changes in the pricing and the the new ones that are on the market and and all of those dynamics to to bubble up, you know, the the answer that how's the market question. Um, you know, traditional the traditional uh, housing data, like the Case Shiller index, which was announced, I think yesterday for is it's lagging, right? It was announced for the July number was announced yesterday, uh, and at the end of September, and that uses May, June, and July transaction data. Well, those homes that sold in May, you know, they got listed in April. Like that's a vastly different market than what we have now, and, and you've you've helped me understand this in the past. But so, like the Case Shiller number is actually measuring the movement in specific homes. So, like you take one address and watch what it sold at last time, watch what it sold at the next time. That's a measure of a true view of home price appreciation or declines in housing prices. And you're taking a different angle of looking at listing data, which is what enables you to have more real-time and forward-looking viewpoints? Yeah, yes, exactly. And so, you know, the 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 Case Shiller and the the called repeat sales indexes that that uh you know like you look at the house and this house sold for a hundred thousand here and it sold for two hundred thousand here over that time. Like and you do that enough and you get a uh uh, you know, that index of how much home prices appreciate. Uh, the question that we're answering in with, with the Altos data is if I walk into the market now, what do homes cost? Are there a lot of them? Like, do I have to make an offer quickly? Do I, uh, am I going to have selection? Can I lowball? Um, you know, if I want to invest and, and make more money and that's all of that signal is in the active market. You know, we can see. So one of the leading indicators that we like is the percentage of homes on the market that have taken a price reduction from, you know, from the original list price last last few months, taken a price cut. And what what you learn is that as a rule of thumb, about a third of listings take a price cut. They're, they're overpriced. And sometimes that's, you know, uh, intentional and sometimes it's accidental and sometimes it's a crazy seller who wants to, you know, test the market. But a third. Um, and then when the market cools, then all of a sudden, you know, it's like 35, 40% need to take a price cut. Uh, or when the market heats up, it's maybe only like a third think they're overpriced, but maybe only 25 have to take a price cut because some of those crazy sellers got their offer. And so, you know, you could see, so when houses are on the market now, and only 15% need to take a price cut, like those are transactions that haven't happened yet. Uh, but we know that the demand is there because nobody needs to cut their price because they're getting their offers and they're having bidding wars and, and all those things. And so it's really forward-looking uh, for transactions that are going to happen in the future. So like, you know, the Case Shiller number for July, like you can see that's announced in September, like you can see that in the in the February, March, April, if you're looking in the real-time data, like it's months ahead. And it's, you know, one of the challenges of using a thing like a K-Shiller or, a, you know, a sales index uh, to, to do any decision-making because those are transactions that happened a long time ago. 
and it's got very little to do with the market today. So I like like price reductions as a leading indicator uh, from the local market comparison. So nationally, it's about a third is our rule of thumb. But um, in markets that have uh, big, like more new construction um, and more investor activity, it actually tends to be more like 40%. So Dallas or Phoenix, about 40% of the market tends to take a price cut. Um, you know, before it sells. And, the, and that's your historical baseline, yeah, right? Yes, it's historical. And did I did I hear in, in one of your recent updates, you're saying nationally we're about 40% right now? Yes. So we're at 40%, which so 40 point, 41, I think, as of this week, 41% of this, this week. And and so price reductions have, they they flattened out in August and they've accelerated in the last two weeks as rates uh, spiked. And so like, it's really noticeable. Like if you've got your house on the market and you, uh, didn't get like all of a sudden you realize there's no offers this week because everybody just got afraid. You cut your price to see, maybe I can scare out some buyers cause I want to get this thing sold before the holidays. Um, so that happens. Um, and price reductions normally peak in October. And then at the, you know, then the market like cleans up and things get withdrawn or, you know, you don't get new listings. And so that resets uh, into over the holidays and starts to decline uh, through typically through uh, March. And then now that if the first quarter homes didn't sell in the second quarter, price reductions start ticking up in the second quarter. So that's that annual cycle there. Um, and so at 41%, it is, uh, it's, it's more than normal. More than our rule of thumb, which is, you know, really indicates um, flat home price gains. Like, you know, in the next year, you can see that demand is way down. And, um, uh, but it's not catastrophic. Um, you know, during the, during the bubble bursting is like 50% of the homes around the country had taken a price cut in the last 90 days. You know, and you 50, more than 50%. And there are some markets around the country right now where price reductions are really even higher. So Phoenix, Boise, the Utah markets, um, these are all uh, some of the, the Florida markets. So these were the biggest boom markets during the pandemic. Uh, and, you know, you have, uh, and they hit the brakes the hardest. So you could see those. And so those are, those are pretty bearish for home price gains, you know, like probably negative for, for next year in those markets. Do you see, so like for, let's use Boise as an example, have you figured out a, uh, a mathematical, um, correlation between the home price reduction and what we'd expect to see in case Schiller home prices 45 days from now? Yeah, I don't, um, we don't correlate it to the, um, to the price reductions to Case Shiller, but but you know you can you can correlate the ask prices very directly to the sold prices that they're going to sell at, and in uh, in general, sellers know exactly where to price a house to get it to sell. Uh, listing agents and sellers they they in general any any given house may be over or underpriced, but in general the 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 markets ask 
roughly about where they're going to sell. In a in a cold market, it's about they sell. It's it's like ninety six percent sales to list price. In a hot market, it's like one hundred and four percent. In the crazy hot market earlier this year, it was probably more like one hundred and six hundred and eight percent. You know, where they had tons of overbidding when mortgage rates are two and a half percent, you can just overbid and it doesn't change your your payment by that much. Um, so like those, like, but, but in general, um, you can see exactly where that's going to, where they're going to go. Um, and then, so that's just like looking at the median price of, you know, the, all the active homes on the market. And there's earlier signal than that too, where we look at the cohort of properties that were listed, newly listed this week. And there's signal in that. So if I'm, if I'm going to list my house, I, I know that there's nobody that made offers last week in this price range. I am going to price a little bit lower, need a little bit of discount. And so that the price of the newly listed cord actually turns a month before the, the full active market, which turns a month before the, the ones going into contract and which turns a month before the, the sales turn. So it's like this is four month inflection point dominoes that you can watch fall when, when the inflection points hit. Interesting. So like, okay. Can, can you run through that domino effect for us for what we should expect in, in the fourth quarter of this year? And I know, you know, we kind of hit on that earlier when topics of interest rates and inventory, but I want to, I want to sing it back one more time. What, what, what is, what are the dominoes telling us for the rest of this year? So they've actually been, uh, the dominoes have been, uh, pretty muted on price reduction, like on home prices falling yet. So seasonally coming down, but it does every year, you know, prices peak June 30th and then tick back uh, from there. Um, And and so because, you know, if you're selling a little bit later in the year, you do a little bit of a discount, like, oops, I'm late in the summer. I need to make sure this thing moves. So you do a little bit of a discount in aggregate. And so, um, so, they're indicating not um, dramatic home price uh, adjustments yet. Um, what remains to be seen are, you know, this this uh, spike from rates from five and a half to seven, uh, and and how long does that persist? So does that persist through the the into the spring? Then we would see some. We would see. Uh, you know, real, um, you know, like th- then we would, we really, w- when I really love to look at the new listings cohort is between the second and third week of January. Uh, Cause that's like the first indication of the spring selling market. And you can watch the steepness of that curve, like the second derivative, you know, of that curve and, and get a real indication for how the whole year is going to play out. Uh, so what you'll see though in in things like the case Schiller for the rest of the year is as the overbidding uh, stuff came out of the out of the market, those, the case Schiller stuff is going to correct down uh, a lot a lot more than the active market uh, data will. Um, so there's going to be more, but and we're still going to see that you know uh, even if the market starts like turning back up for January. We're, we're going to see those Case Shiller numbers reporting really bearish through the second quarter of next year because of how lagging they are. We can already see that that's what we're going to get on those headlines. 
I can see the CNBC headlines now. It's painful. It's painful. It is painful. <laughs> and it's why I, I like, uh, as I, I sometimes say, my favorite times with the Altos and the Altos data are when we get to be contrarian and bullish at the same time. So the headlines are still bearish and lagging, but the market is actually pulled, picked up. So fingers crossed we get to do that you know, in the first quarter next year. Uh, and hopefully we're not like, you know, in a market where it's like, it's, it's, everything's heading down and everybody knows. it. <laughs> I think the, the audience will know next time they see Mike Simonson on the housing news podcast, it's, it's, uh, likely because he gets to be contrarian and, and bullish. bullish. That's right. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll time, we'll time that. Yeah. That's the, that's the market signal everybody should watch for. So, so Mike, another important component of the housing market is, is rents. And in your Altos updates, you've also shared that we've had three or four weeks of slightly declining rents. Um, can you go deeper into this trend and uh, maybe with a little background on the, what we've seen over the last two years in, in rent changes and then what we're seeing play out right now? Yeah, and, and that's I'm looking at uh, with that number in specific, I was talking about rents of single family homes. Um, and, and I shared it a few weeks ago because elevated rents was an, is another one of these bullish factors for home prices. And it's like, if I can get my mortgage is super low and my rents are super high, it's a pretty good time to not sell my house. <laughs> and, and so, um, so that argues like it's another reason why, you know, why, why it doesn't seem like we're going to have a, uh, any kind of flood of, of distressed sellers. Um, and so, but, and so rents have been super high and they've been stubbornly high. So they've been, you know, uh, like they haven't come down yet, even though we could see, you know, um, d- demand back off purchase demand back way off. We hadn't seen rents start to tick down yet. We have seen it in the last three weeks. Um, and, um, and so, uh, there's small changes. Uh, and so like, maybe it's noise. It's not, you know, it's not a, a dramatic trend, but it's a, it's an early signal that I'm like, oh, th- this is interesting. Um, you know, and we know that, uh, you know, th- there's, there's a common perception and it like sort of would make intuitive sense that home prices and rents would move inverse from each other. Like if I'm not buying, I'm renting and therefore rents would go up, but, but it turns out they actually move together. Uh, you know, like, and it's, and it's, it is household formation really that drives it. I'm moving out from my roommates and either I'm going to rent a place or I'm going to buy a place or I'm moving out from my parents, uh, because I'm, you know, a millennial and I'm at that age. I didn't mean either rent or buy. So that demand for housing moves together. So in general, they move up and down together and not in inverse. So you don't see declining rents as a potentially negative, another negative sim- signal for home prices or home sales because uh, like, hey, the house is more affordable so, or the rent is more affordable. So I'll just rent a little bit longer instead of going to home ownership. That's just not the relationship that you've seen in the data. That's not what I see uh, or what I would expect. What I would expect is um, it is. I'm afraid of the economy. I'm afraid for my job. I'm not moving out. And we're going to delay doing any decision like that because it, because the world is scary right now, and therefore everything notches down. I love um I love following loan originators and and real estate agents on social media. There's been three like trends that, that I've seen really pop out the last the last two months. 
the the whole like meme around marry the house, date the rate, which I, I think is you know kind of kind of legit. You can always re- refi down the road. But you have to be able to afford your initial payment. Then, we, then we've seen the trends the last month as rates shot up to seven percent of um, the the rate buy downs and loan originators actually out there talking about buy downs. If you're staying in this house for a while, there's there's ways to get around the seven percent rate out the gate. Um, and then the one I've seen pop the last two weeks has been uh, uh, the interest rate on your rent is 100%. And try, trying to use that as the, uh, <laughs> the the push that moves people from the, the rental market to the homeownership market. But it kind of turns out that third uh, social media trend is kind of debunked if, uh, if that's not actually the decision-making process that the data tells us is how people act. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the marry the house date, the rate is, is there's some merit there in, you know, we're always afraid that we are, you know, buying at the top or selling at the bottom. And we're all, and we're, no matter who we are making this transaction, we're afraid that that's happening. And, you know, I don't want to buy right now because it feels like everything's going to collapse. But if you find my, my, some people say, Mike, should I wait or should I buy now? What's your advice? And, and my advice always in that sense is, is look, if you can afford that house and you love that house, buy the house. If you can't afford it or you don't love it, don't buy the house because you think you need to, right? Don't think you don't do it because it's the time. Like I hear I need to get in. Like it's not the right house for you. And so, um, and so, uh, and I think that still holds true now, um, you know, and, and I had a friend who's, you know, buying a mountain house uh, and he was asking me this week, you know, thinking about waiting. And I was like, I mean, what are you going to wait for? And, like, you know, like, I mean, you could try to time the market, but, you know, how, how luck- likely is it that you're going to you're going to get that exactly right? You know, and meanwhile, you're going to wait a ski season without your ski house. Yeah. I shared on Twitter that back in 2009, I won an auction to buy a, a house in Florida for 50 grand. And um, I got scared and gave it to the second highest bidder at, at no profit to myself. But I, in hindsight, should have bought that house. And uh, it's worth about 400 grand now. And it would have been a great rental property that I, that I owned when I was in my early twenties, which would have been, which would have been phenomenal. I, I didn't do that. And it's, there is a, now I still look at that neighborhood as like a fifty to hundred thousand dollar neighborhood, but it's just it's just not. And uh, like you can't wait around for those for that next um, GFC to get here and buy houses at fifty grand because the data is not showing is not showing that that's the path. Despite what the trolls on Twitter like to say to to you and I. So what do you think is one of the things that the trolls on Twitter just massively misunderstand or or want to be true about the housing market that the data just doesn't prove out? Well, I mean, so certainly the the view of uh, the distressed properties coming to market um, is it's like if you pay attention to the actual data on on you know the distressed sellers and what makes a distressed seller, uh, it, it seems like we'd have massive economic dislocation before we get to any 
uh, distressed seller. And then it's another year out. So, you know, maybe we get some, if we get a big risk job loss recession in 2023, then maybe we get some of those in 2020, that inventory in 2024. Um, and it could be a that that could that could happen, um, uh, you know. But um, but in general, we still, you know, Americans still have the the like the the best mortgage deals ever, and their credit quality is higher than ever. And all of so all of those things bode really well for not having a, a big wave of distress sellers, and so. You know, the, the housing, the, the bears in housing generally have a really bearish view of, uh, the global economy, the American economy, the, the Fed and the ability to control the, like all of the things all the way down. Um, and, 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 and therefore then they project that into, you know, a, a, a major crash coming for housing. Um, you know, the one thing, you know, home prices went up in a big steep, thing and and so there you know like you can imagine a like a correction like that, that you can make sense there uh but but the 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 part of that that it assumes that we're going to have a big wave of distressed sellers or of any sellers at all is uh I'm I'm super skeptical of yeah i mean i think it comes down to using the right vocabulary too and uh the difference between a slight correction and a bubble are entirely different things and uh so i think something worth paying close attention to mike i love how analytical analytical you are when looking at housing data and thinking about the markets um and i'm sure there's some things you've learned from the data that you watch closely so i'm going to close out the interview with one final question what is one strongly held belief that you've changed your mind on in, in 2022. And, and maybe that's about the housing market. Maybe it's something entirely different, but this year has been a, a year of rapid change in many parts of our lives and the businesses and that we operate and uh, the industry that we operate in. So what is one strongly held belief that you've changed your mind on? Um, well, you know, I would, so, so I'm, I'm wrong a lot and I actually try to make a point of, like pointing out like, Oh, I was wrong with that call. I do that in my videos as, as much as I can. I think it's a really uh, useful technique uh, to, to help find, but, you know, watching, uh, I, I have, uh, like, I, I, I would say I'm like, I'm, I have no ability to, to predict mortgage rates. I, I, you know, bought my first house in the mid nineties at like eight and a quarter percent. And, and, uh, like it, I assumed it was such a good deal. I locked it in for 30 years. I bought my second house in 2001 at six and a half and it was such a good deal. I locked it in for 30 years. And then, you know, I bought my third house and, uh, you know, in whatever, 2015 and it was at four and a half and I locked it in for 30 years, you know, and, and so then the beginning of this year, I'm like, well, it sure seems like I would, I, I refinanced and super low and I'm locked in for 30 years again. And, and so I like, you know, it seemed like at the beginning of the year, I would say interest rates, um, you know, seem like they would go up, but I thought they'd go up a year ago or a year and a half ago too. And, and they didn't. So I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I never it, it's like th- thought about that we would see 7% by September. It's way outside of, of what, um, you know, any of my assumptions would have been, you know, I, I talked with some really smart people on mortgage rates early in the year and they were, I said, what do you think? Like, what should we expect? Cause I don't know where they go. And, and they were, 
you know, like four and a half, you know, 5%. Yeah, and I thought, wow, 5% would be a big change. Um, so, so, you know, seven is, it's outside of any of the things I've, uh, assumptions I've, I've made. And, um, and I don't know what, you know, what the impacts are of that. Like we started Altos in 2006, January 1 of 2006. And, um, and that's about where rates were in the sixes and sevens at that time. And, and sixes and, and, uh, uh, so they've essentially only gone down since then. So basically yeah. you've learned don't fight the fed. Don't fight the fed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. And so, man, I, like, I don't know what that, you know, what the implications are of that really. And, and I also don't know, like, you know, the fed was buying mortgage bonds during, during the pandemic. What policy do they go with next? Like, how do they, where do they go from here? Does that like, are they done forever and mortgage rates go over 10? I, I don't know. Well, I'm taking your recommendation that you've shared with me in the past. I'm reading, I just ordered Nick Timorous's uh, trillion dollar triage book. So hopefully I, that'll help me with a little deeper understanding of how to interpret the nuance of, uh, of Jerome Powell, and the federal reserve. Yeah. It's a great book. It's uh, like uh Literally, it's like it's like I can't believe I'm riveted to a day by day account of like what the policy changes are happening. But I found it I found, like I found it terrific. Awesome, Mike. Thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your dive into the housing market. All right, Clayton. Nice to talk to you. Let me guess. Housing market uncertainty has you guessing what's around the corner. It's the reason we created Housing Wire Annual. Housing Wire Annual is where the community from across the housing ecosystem comes together to share strategies, drive business, discover new technologies, discuss best practices, and meet industry leaders. With four different tracks, including mortgage, real estate, valuation, and title, our agenda is power-packed with content to propel your company to the next level and connect you with the industry playmakers. Join us October 3rd through 5th at the Fairmont Princess in Scottsdale, Arizona. Head to housingwireannual.com to secure your spot now and use code PODCAST20 for 20% off tickets. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.